Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're in a season, I, I honestly, I just have to give a few testimonies uh, because I receive more and more now. It used to be about two to three a day. Now it's about four to six testimonies a day. They are so outstanding, so amazing what God is doing. Ryan, who goes to Joplin, this is from Wednesday night. Wednesday morning, I woke up knowing there was going to be special prayer for someone with chronic shoulder pain during the prayer meeting at the Joplin campus. So he wakes up and he just has this sense, that's going to happen. I was so sure, in fact, that it felt like it was scheduled into my day. Weld that by 10 a.m., email them at 2 p.m., make that call by 3.30 p.m., get healed around 8 p.m. I've suffered from shoulder pain since an accident on the farm when I was 15. My left shoulder required surgery after that and didn't heal correctly. 25 years of favoring my left side caused damage to the right side. Constant pain. Simple task became a challenge. Just grunt and go. Right before Pastor Justin called out for those with shoulder issues, God was telling me to be ready and I was amped up. I couldn't get my hand up fast enough to receive prayer. Multiple hands on me, and I just gave all the pain and discomfort to Jesus. The pain immediately dissipated. People often speak of a heat sensation. I had red hot pokers in my shoulders. This morning for the first time in longer than I can remember, I've been completely pain free. Praise God for his healing power. It's awesome, isn't it? A parent texted this to one of our youth pastors uh, from Wednesday night here at the student center, and I had the joy of meeting with the family, the mom, the dad, the four children, and one of the four who the testimony is about, Eric. Our son Eric is 12 years old and was born completely deaf in his left ear. The doctors told us that the hearing nerve did not develop before he was born and that there was nothing they could do to fix it. Because he was 100% deaf in that ear, a hearing aid or other device would not help at all because he could not receive any sound signals to his brain. One of the things you say, well, at least he can hear out of the other ear, but one of the things, and they were talking about it this morning, is the reality that if they were in like a, a Walmart or if they were in a place with a lot of people, his parents could call out and he couldn't hear clearly or understand what people were saying. They go on to share this. When he was a baby, we took him to be prayed for several times and felt God gently tell us that he would be healed later when he was older and could tell everyone about the miracle. Tonight during youth service prayer meeting, he went up to the front to pray and he felt the Holy Spirit so strongly he couldn't stop shaking. God healed his deaf ear, and he is now able to hear out of both ears for the first time. Now, let me just say this, and, and uh, so I want to talk to the church here, and and I want you to take this in the spirit it's intended, because it's intended as just pastoral encouragement. 
and to help some folks who, as we're going through this season, as we talk about uh, all of the healings, there are some people, and you're sitting back, and, and you're, you're struggling with it. And so a part of where you're at is you're like, well, if God heals some people, why doesn't he heal everyone? And I just want to say to you that, that if you think about any work of God and you applied that standard to it, you don't believe God saves people because he doesn't save everyone? That, that wouldn't make sense. We would say there are some people that are saved instantly when they hear the gospel. There's others that God works on. And, and then there's some that, like my dad was 25 years of my mom praying for him before he got saved. You see, one of the things we can't do is we can't know what God, you know, who knows the mind of God and his ways are above or higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And there's a way that God works. I mean, how, what do you say in 12-year-old in, in Eric's situation that God is waiting for a time to bring healing to him that's going to do a work in his life, his family? His, the family wrote in that text, our life's changed forever. Listen, I'm just saying, you know, we have to be careful lest we find ourselves in a situation where we're judging God. Where we're saying if God does something we don't understand, that that's not right or we can't accept it as if somehow we're in a place where we can evaluate the act of God. I think we have to be careful. You know, on the one hand, God doesn't mind sincere questions based on a quest for truth and understanding. But there's a, a really fine line between sincere questions that are asked in the hope of gaining knowledge and skeptical questions, which are merely an expression of doubt and unbelief. And what happens is there are some in, in your conversation, and I don't think there's a, a lot, but I think there are some. I know there are. What happens if you're not careful, not only are you reinforcing the doubt in your own life, but now you're blanketing that because in any conversation, you can't wait to bring up your arguments of doubt or your line of thinking on doubt. And, and just to, to bless everybody with that, and in fact, it only damages the faith of other people. I mean, can I, just, can I just say that? That kind of speech ultimately will lead you, this is my concern for you, this is why I would say it, will only lead you to a place of spiritual barrenness in your life when it comes to God doing the miraculous for you, through you, around you. As a, as a wise believer, a mature believer, maybe is a better word, there are some things in life we frankly do not understand. And what we learn to do is, with the things we don't understand is we give them to God by faith. We, we rest in faith and say, I don't understand today, but I know someday I will fully understand because the Bible says I will fully know even as I'm fully known, right? And I'll have that understanding. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus said, to him who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. 
That's talking about spiritual understanding. That's talking about faith. When we act on the faith we have, more is given. When we don't act on the faith we have and we don't, we don't say, listen, I can't understand that, but, but I'm, I'm going to accept the, the Lord. I'm going to rejoice that people are being healed. I mean, some, even as I tell that story about the, the family, you're like, oh, I don't know whether that's really true. Could God really? And I'm like, hello, I talked to the people. I met the child. I saw his, I saw his two brothers and his sister. I mean, it's true. I mean, Tammy Parsley, she's got the scans. It's true. It's true. And so, you know, but people are like trying to go through this algorithm of complicated thinking that denies the reality of God's power in this. And let me just say this, and this is really, I think, the bottom line that, that if I'm you, I would be concerned and I'm concerned for you. If you have to figure out everything before you're willing to walk by faith, then the walk of faith will be virtually impossible for you. And this is the, this is the, the final thing I'll say about it. Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I'm praying for you. I know it's a journey. I know it's stretching, but I just want everybody here to experience as much of his power, his working in your life and a absence of faith and a continual articulation of doubt will cut you off from that. Fair enough? Love you so much. So, well, if you have your Bibles, or better yet, your iPhone or your Android, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 6. The title of the message is Power That Solves Problems. Power That Solves Problems. How many could use some power to solve some problems? You know what a problem is. A problem is P. It is a predictor. It has the ability to predict what we will become by the way we respond to it. It's R. It's a reminder that every one of us needs God because we're always going to have problems. We say we want to see miracles, but every miracle started with the problem, right? It's O. O stands for opportunities because every problem is a chance. It's an opportunity to watch God work. It's an opportunity to become better, to do better. It's B. It stands for blessings. Almost every blessing you and I have experienced has come as God has poured out his grace, poured out his help, poured out his strength, poured out his wisdom in, in response to a problem. L stands for lessons. Problems are lessons. We learn from them. They teach us. They help us grow. E stands for the fact they are everywhere. There are problems all around us, but we got a God who's bigger than the problems, right? 
M stands for the fact they are messages. Every single problem is a message to us. God is speaking to us. God is directing us. If you've got a problem this morning, God's trying to show you something, something about himself, something about yourself, something about his power, something about his wisdom, something about his provision. God is speaking through the problems of our life. And in Acts chapter six, the church encountered a massive problem. Now, maybe that surprises you because sometimes we have the idea if the spirit of God is really moving in a place, there aren't gonna be any problems. That this is all gonna go along smoothly. But that isn't true at all. In fact, the fact of the matter is many times God uses problems to shape us, to direct us, to develop a ministry. We've seen that at James River. Almost every ministry that is vibrant, that is changing lives, that is touching both people here and in the community has become what it is because there were problems. We recognized the problem. We said, how do we solve it? God used it to start a ministry, strengthen a ministry, improve a ministry. Problems. God wants to use problems. As we look at Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, I want us to look at three areas. First of all, obviously, the problem. Acts 6, 1, look at it. Here's their problem. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, this gives us a hint what the problem is. There are too many people for the 12 apostles to minister to. So the church is blown up, and we don't know. It could be as long as five years when you get here. It could be as, it could be as short as one year. Theologians estimate at this point the, the early church now in Jerusalem is running somewhere between 30 and 40,000 people. So now you've got them meeting in homes all over the city. You've got the apostles, and they're managing different aspects of it. There are the logistics they've got to think about. There's the collection. There's the distribution. Because, I mean, people are donating to people in needs. Who gets it? How is that decided? Where does it go? When does it go? Who's going to deliver it? Who are they going to trust with different things? Then on top of that, when you've got 40,000 people, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get them all baptized. Can you imagine baptizing 40,000 people in one year? God granted, may the revival that we're praying to see happen, may it result in 40,000 people being baptized. Wow. It's all the meetings. It's all the communication. And it's more than they could handle. Up to this point, they've been reaching pretty much people in Jerusalem and Judea, but there are still the Samaritans that need to be reached. There's the Gentiles that need to be reached. And unless they make some changes, the ministry, because of its success, is going to be rendered ineffective. You know, that's something all of us need to be aware of, that just because you're successful today in what you're doing, your success could ultimately lead to your failure. It could promote you to a place of incompetence. That's why for all of us, we've got to be willing 
To not just look for the place where we can sit in our comfort zone, but we gotta say to the Lord, God, whatever you wanna do, I just wanna do all that I can with all that I have for your glory. And Lord, I pray you'd open my heart to be, to be open to change, to be open to new ideas, to be open to advice. We say at James River, the only constant is change. It changes quickly. Well, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, you say, who are the Grecian Jews? Uh, some translations say the Hellenistic Jews. These are Jews who live all over the Mediterranean. They're called Grecian Jews because outside of Judea, the language of the Roman Empire is Greek. That's why our New Testament is written in Greek, because that was the common language of the day. Much like English is almost the transactional language of business today in our world. So these are Jews who live outside of the land that we know today as Israel. They've come to celebrate the feast. They've come in from all over the Roman world. They're experiencing the move of God, and they're saying, we don't want to go home. We want to stay and be a part of this move of God. The Greek Jews or Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. These are the Jews who live in Jerusalem. They're the Jews who live in Judea. They're the Jews who live in what we know as modern-day Israel. And the issue between these two groups of people is their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So these Hellenistic Grecian Jews are saying, wait, you're not taking care of our widows. And so there is a problem. I mean, already between the two, there are linguistic differences. There are cultural differences. They are more more Greek, even in their thinking and in their value system, though they are Jewish, they've been influenced by the world around them. And the Hebraic Jews look at them and say, listen, culturally, you're a bit off. You're not doing things like a Jewish person should. And we would know because we live in, in Judea and we're Judean Jews. And there got to be a bit of a... Of a strife, a friction. They as well felt that these Jews hadn't been loyal to the land because these Jews had left the land. They had stayed in the land. And so all of this was happening. There was a conflict of values. There were judgments that were going on. And listen, whenever the church is growing, you can be sure the enemy's going to try to be right in the center doing one thing and one thing primarily, and that's causing division. That's, this is a word to this church right now as we are growing, as we're seeing record salvations, as we're seeing people baptized, as God is moving. If you want to know what's the enemy going to try to do to stop it, he's going to try to cause dissension. He's going to try to cause disunity. He's going to try to divide people. He's going to try to work against people. That's why we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds. We got to listen to our lips. We got to say, we got to, we got to evaluate. What am I saying? Am I saying things with an edge? Am I saying things that are divisive? Am I saying things that are discouraging to people? We have to really 
in some sense, get a hold in our mind, what's the priority here? The priority is we wanna see people come to know the Lord. The priority is God is moving in power. The priority is we don't wanna do anything to interrupt what God is doing in this place. But what happens is people forget about the priorities and start emphasizing their preferences. And the preferences, I mean, they can, come, they can be in the area of style, but honestly, when I look at what has happened during this season of COVID, I would say that the preferences have centered around politics. They've centered around people's, people's preferences on, on certain ways to deal with problems in, in society. And people have become very, very divided. When the fact of the matter is within the church, we're all one. We're from a variety of different backgrounds. We might not see everything the same out in the world, but when we come into the church, we love one another. We care for one another. We're open to saying, listen, I don't have to agree with you on everything out there to love you as a brother or sister in here and out there, right? Acts 6. They're going every day. They're, what they're doing is they're, after they meet at the synagogue on the Sabbath, then they would go out and they would collect alms. They would go house to house. They would collect the alms. And then they would distribute those to the widows. And apparently it's not happening for the Grecian Jewish widows. And so complaining began and it could have wrecked the church. I don't know how many widows we have in here today, but I want you to know we love you. I want you to know we care about you. I want you to know that, that you matter to God. And we don't anyway want you to feel, um, in any way, uh, I, I surely don't want you to feel ostracized, but I do want you to feel that we love you. What I'd like to do, if it'd be all right, I'd like you, if you're a widow, would you stand just across the auditorium? Don't want to embarrass anybody, but just stand. We want to, we want to see where the widows are, and uh, we love you so much. Now here's what we want to do. Can you remain standing for just a moment? We want to pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every widow who has stood. Father, we treasure them. We consider it a part of the ministry of this church to look out for them and to care for them. And Father, I pray today that, Lord, they would sense your pleasure on their life and the fact that you are with them. May your presence rest upon them so that they know they're never alone, no matter where they're at, no matter where they go. As they go shopping to the store, as they are home, Lord, as they lay down at night, as they get up in the morning, may they know that they're not alone, that you are right there with them. And God, I pray that they would sense your presence and not only your presence, but hear your voice speaking to them, calling them by name, that they might know how valued they are to you and to your kingdom and that you're watching over them. And we thank you for it, amen. Let's give our widows a hand. Number two, the apostles have to come up with a plan because eventually the complaints make it to the apostles. Look at it, Acts chapter six and verse two. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Here's what's interesting. They hear about the problem, immediately they have a solution. 
What they have is they have a supernatural wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And again, I don't think it's reading too much into this, and you'll see why in a moment, that part of the value of, of living with the infilling of the Spirit is there is a greater wisdom. There is a wisdom that is available to us so that we not only have a boldness to witness and we not only have a power to pray for people, but we have supernatural wisdom. It's very interesting. The first person that was filled with the Spirit in the Bible is in the Old Testament, and his name is Bezalel. Look at it in Exodus chapter 35 and verse 31. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. The first person mentioned in the Bible, filled with the Spirit, the first characteristic about them is wisdom. And not just wisdom, great wisdom, and not just that, but ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. If you read the verses, and I hope you'll write this down and read later, all that he could do, it's really outstanding. Now, let me take it a step further, and this is, this is not in the Bible, what I'm telling you, but this is Jewish rabbinic tradition regarding Bezalel. Bezalel was 13 years old, which made the miracle. He designed everything in the tabernacle at 13. At 13, he had great wisdom. Come on, moms and dads are like, oh Lord, fill my son and daughter with the Holy Ghost and wisdom, right? Wow. <laughs> you start praying for your kids to be filled with the Spirit, I promise you. Um, but what happened was his grandparent, according to this Jewish tradition, confronted his grandfather, confronted Aaron over the building of the golden calf. And because of that, God honored him by touching his grandson. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, you want to leave a legacy, leave a legacy of righteousness, leave a legacy of standing for the truth, leave a legacy of saying there's a wrong that's wrong when, when everybody's wrong and there's a right that's right when nobody's right. So here is this 13-year-old and he designs the whole thing. Listen, this is why that generation's brochure, this is why I'm so excited about it because I'm telling you, it's the young people, it's, it's the generation that is coming up that God is going to place a mantle on to reach this world in a last day revival. You watch it, it's gonna happen, but it starts when the Spirit of God comes on them, right? So God gives them supernatural wisdom to solve the problem to know what they needed to be done, to know what they couldn't personally know without his help, and to understand that they can't do everything. I think that's something that, that is a good word, a good reminder for every single pastor. Maybe you're visiting, maybe you're watching online, you're in the ministry. You know what can happen to a lot of pastors? They have a heart to serve, that's why they get in the ministry. And then they try to be all things to all people all the time. And I've heard guys say this. They say, you know, I tell my people, you can call me anywhere, anytime for anything. And I'm thinking that is a disaster. And what happens is a church hears that and a church applauds that and is like, yay, anywhere, anytime for anything. I'm, I'm loving that. 
But then the pastor ends up slapping a sermon together on a Saturday night, showing up on Sunday, hasn't studied the word, hasn't spent time in prayer, and then everybody wonders why lives aren't being changed and why the church isn't growing and why, why people aren't being transformed in the services. And the reason why is because they've lost sight of the priorities and the church ends up becoming spiritually anemic. Look at the apostles' priority. I think this is so good. It would not be right. It would not make sense. It would not be reasonable for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's where our priority is going to be. I was talking to a pastor a week, probably two weeks ago, and he said, hey, listen, what did you really pick to emphasize in your early years at James River? What did you really feel was important? I said, I emphasized in my own life prayer and ministry of the word. I did, I, I did what I've heard someone call planned neglect. I planned to neglect everything until I prayed and got my message ready for Sunday. Listen, that is the priority of the apostles. That, that is something God blesses. It's the lead pastor's primary job. Straight up. First Timothy chapter four. Paul says to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. That's a good definition of what we do every single week at James River Church. So you read the text, you explain the text, and you apply the text. The disciples said this, Acts 6, 4, we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That, those words give our attention, same word in the Greek that is translated as devoted in the verse we just read. It's also translated in Acts chapter one as joined constantly. In other words, we're gonna constantly be doing this. We're gonna constantly be praying and we're gonna constantly be giving our attention to the word. Every day they constantly met together in prayer. They, they continued, they were constantly doing it. Honestly, this is, this is the way ministry should primarily be done, certainly by the lead pastor in any size church. I mean, there should be an attention to the word in prayer. I really appreciate the hundred who are in on that, but I mean, the rest of you, you'll kind of get that. It'll, you'll think about it. But Ian Bounds said this, a preacher is commissioned to pray, uh, well, to pray as well as preach. His mission is incomplete if he does not do both well. Adam Clark, the British commentator said this, study yourself to death and pray yourself alive again. You have to devote yourself to prayer and ministry of the word, and that takes time. Joseph Parker, who was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, pastored City Temple in London in England in 1869. He preached to 3,000 people. He preached twice on Sunday, and in 33 years, he preached through the Bible seven times. The result was the People's Bible, a 25-volume set. Parker spent such considerable time and study that he was once asked why he was not a more, more available to people, to which he replied, if I talked all week, I could not preach on Sunday. That's all. 
If I'd attended committee meetings, immersed myself in politics, my strength would have been consumed. That's all. Mystery, there is none. It's true. I serve you best when I devote myself to preaching and prayer. And I thank, I thank God for a place like James River, where you have understood the value of that. Because the way it plays out, practically speaking, is, hello, is pastor there? Can I talk to him? Well, not right now. There are other pastors who can help you. And when you accept that and you allow other people to help you do what you wanted me to help you do, and man, listen, Debbie and I would love to be everywhere we can be. I think you can tell we try to do what we can do. But the fact of the matter is, there's, there's one of each of us and there's a limit in our day, and if we're going to prioritize what we do in terms of primarily praying and teaching the Word and then leading certain parts of the church, that fills up, that fills up a week. And you've understood that, that, listen, it's valuable for him to pray, for them to pray, for the pastors to pray. I love that about this church. Our pastors, one day a month, we take the whole day and pray. We did that last week, and then we had a staff chapel and had a prayer meeting again that went about an hour and a half. And then, you know, on Wednesday, we were with the college students, and that, that turns into another time of prayer. Listen, we're giving ourselves to prayer. You can see the result. God is changing people's lives. It's how it works. The church is strongest when its people and its leadership pray. The apostles said, we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. But if they do that, who's going to take care of the other stuff? Look at it. Verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. Here's what they're saying. We need people who can, who can basically serve and distribute meals or, or distribute finances to people. What are they looking for in that? They want people who are known to be full of the Spirit. They want people who are known to be full of wisdom. The apostle's job requirement is, listen, we want people full of the Spirit. Men and women of God through the ages have understood the reality of this. And if you haven't heard it, it's because the church has neglected it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, I'm going I'm to give you, so I gave you Lloyd Martin, uh, David Martin, Lloyd-Jones. I gave you John Piper. Um, here's D.L. Moody, great evangelist in the 1800s in New York City in 1876. The greatest evangelist of his generation. Probably Billy Graham would, in his day would have been what Moody was in his day. D.L. Moody said this, God has got a good many children who have just barely got life but no power for service. The Holy Ghost coming upon them with power is distinct and separate from conversion. If the scripture doesn't teach that, I'm ready to correct people who believe it doesn't. I believe we should accomplish more in one week than we should in years if we had only this fresh baptism. 
A great many think because they've been filled once, they're going to be full for all time after. But oh, my friends, we are leaky vessels and have to be kept right under the fountain all the time in order to keep full. Let us keep near him. They said, we need people to serve. What qualifications do you have to have? You gotta be full of the Spirit. You know, sometimes we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to rank jobs as some being more spiritual than others, some needing more spiritual power than others. And maybe you've been on a dream team and you're thinking, you know, that your role doesn't require that much or your role isn't that spiritually significant as other roles. Let me just say this. This is what makes a person's role spiritually significant. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, it, your role will have an impact beyond what you can imagine. He will empower you. He will make you fruitful. He will multiply ministry under you as you touch people with a power that is from on high. Acts 6.5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephan. I can't wait next week. Stephan. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Acts chapter 8. He's an all-star. I'm sure the rest were. We just don't know much about him. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. What happens as a result? That leads us to the third thing, product, and we'll wrap this up quickly. Remember, there's, there's rumblings of disunity, but now the problem is solved. They pick people who have the grace of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to serve the ministry, strengthen everything, goes to the next level. Now I want to add this because, you know, in GrowTrack, we've seen a lot of people lately, again, going through GrowTrack. If you've not, I want to encourage you to do it. I want you to get on a dream team and, and to be a part of it. Because, you know, what people can do is they can look at the church, and this is true at any campus, whether you're talking about North or Joplin or West, and you can, and you can think it's South. So many people, there's obviously nothing that really needs to be done. They're just making up jobs for people to do. That's not true. There's lots to do. Is the church strong? Absolutely. But it's not as strong as it would be if everyone were on a dream team and serving and using their God-given gifts to strengthen the ministry and to build the church and to serve and encourage one another. And when that happens, the ministry goes to another level. It's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 6. Look at it. So the Word of God spread. You know, it's very interesting. Freeing up the apostles to pray and to preach results in the word of God spreading. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. You're talking rapid growth and a large number of priests. I mean, these are people who, who were religious liberals. These are people who were not really dialed in. They were kind of going through the motions, but they became obedient to the faith as well. It's amazing. It all started with the infilling of the Spirit, the ability to supernaturally have wisdom to, on the spot, solve problems. 
That's why, uh, listen, we're in, this, we're in this fast. My opinion is this is the most significant fast James Rivers ever had in its history. I, I feel stronger about that than I did at the start because I'm watching what's happening through it. I'm reading the testimonies. I'm seeing what's, I'm seeing what's happening. You say, well, I'll tell you another story. I mean, I could tell you 10,000. I saw somebody, I was walking across the parking lot of a grocery store. Somebody said, hey, Pastor. And so we, we talked and, and uh, reconnected. They're from Colorado. And, and as we're talking, um, we start talking about what God's doing. I said, yeah, I'll tell you about this, about this, about this, about this. That's just so amazing for me to watch. But you know, as the Spirit of God is moving, He's, you see, our prayer is not just here. If it stays in here, it dies in here. Please hear that. So for example, like Tammy Parsley, her story, you know what she does? She says, I refuse not to share my story. So everywhere she goes, she tells her story. Like she goes to a, they were going to a furniture store to get some things and, and she says to the two guys, hey, you wanna hear a story? She tells them her story of healing. She comes back that night and one of the guys says, you know, I've been thinking about that all day long. Another one of our, our staff members, our support staff, they've been talking to a friend about healing and the friend has said, is from a background that doesn't believe in it, doesn't believe it's true. And so they're, they're having this conversation. And so they're at, this friend is at a church and has another friend whose who's leg is completely torn up. I mean, it's in, is in horrific pain. So then this church where the friend doesn't believe in healing, but decides to give it a go. And her friend sitting in that church is instantly completely healed. Now, I'm just telling you, <laughs> the Lord is working. He's working. And so this fast is significant because we're praying for a great awakening that spans Southern Missouri. By my calculation, that will touch millions of people. From Joplin to Cape Girardeau, Cape Girardeau up to St. Louis, St. Louis, passing through Jeff City, praise God, gonna have revival in Jeff City and then move right on to Kansas City and everywhere in between. And hundreds of thousands or millions of people are gonna to be touched. I just believe we're gonna see a revival. I just believe, I don't think it's, hey, it's gonna spread. Churches are gonna come alive. Churches that preach the word are gonna come alive in a new way. Churches that never thought about preaching the word are gonna come alive in a new way and start preaching it, right? I just believe that. I believe we are in a season where something exceptional is happening. And honestly, the infilling of the Holy Spirit will be such a critical part for each and every one of us, just the power of the Spirit and being continually filled. That same problem-solving power is available to you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've not received, I'm just saying in the, in the next three days believe fast seek ask watch what god will do uh, these are powerful times 
I'm so excited about what God's gonna do. I'm excited about what He is doing. I can't wait to see what He's gonna do Wednesday night. I can't wait to see what He's gonna do next Sunday. I can't wait to see what He's gonna do on Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. I just know the Lord is working in an exceptionally powerful way. And what a tragedy if He worked all around you and didn't work in you.